This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with the whole crew. We got Richard Lawson, Vanity Fair's film critic. Hello. Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's digital director Mike Hogan. Hello. We're moving fast toward award season. First on the docket this week is uh, whether or not La La Land is just this unstoppable train. Damien Chazelle won the Directors Guild Award for it on Saturday, which was an expected victory, but it does set him up to be the youngest Best Director winner ever. He is 32 yeah. years old, which makes us all ghosts, basically. <laughs> um, so that's just a director's win. That's not a Best Picture win, but it does really seem to add to the sense that La La Land has just got this thing wrapped up. Yeah, it was at PGA's too, you know. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, which was two weeks ago. I yeah, guess. so I don't know. I think there's something about Chazelle's age that has me kind of like, well, maybe not. But no, I don't. I don't know. I think it feels kind of ordained at this point. Wait, did you say he's 32? I believe so. Yes. So per the lovely stats link you sent us, that would tie him with the great Norman Tarog for the film Skippy from 1930 and 1931. Skippy, my, your favorite of mine. <laughs> you know, I watch Skippy once a year just, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. just to reconnect. Is well, that the, it, I thought that was the thing on the Microsoft Office with the, that told you when you were doing something wrong. Well, so Norman Tarog was, according to Wikipedia, 32 years and 260 days. Damien Chazelle turned oh. 32 on January 19th. So he's got oh, you know, half a year months. plus. He's just a little bit younger. Yeah. So the, much. I had dinner right. last night with someone who went to high school with Damien Chazelle. How are they feeling these days not great <laughs> feeling a little little eclipsed and he's an accomplished guy my friend but yeah uh chazelle is is young and i don't know that that has been a hindrance to people in the past but this year i don't know i, I think that that movie is seemingly so beloved by the guilds and by everyone else so yeah it's interesting how you know i was thinking not that everything's about donald trump which we'll discuss but you know trump is the oldest president to ever take office and no one talks about that because there's just so much else to talk about yeah. no one's talking about damien chazelle's age because la la land has so many other things going for it so he would be the youngest winner yeah so he's not the youngest nominee, actually. But the, he doesn't but, even make the top 10 of youngest nominees. But Richard, nominees. before we started, was talking about some people who were insanely young when they made some quite good movies. Yeah. Orson Welles was 26 when he was nominated for ridiculous. Citizen Kane. That's yeah. absurd. I mean, uh, at 26, I don't. I was like in a gutter. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what the hell <laughs> I was doing. I was just I, on drugs. Uh, all, yeah, all I was time. writing for Gawker and being an asshole. <laughs> well, I had, the, I had the same feeling as your friend who went to high school with Damien Chazelle when uh, Ben Zeitlin, who I went to college with, who, I, right. who was two years ahead of me, but he you, right. when he was nominated for Beast of Southern Wild, I definitely had a, oh, okay, that's, that's where we <laughs> yeah. are now moment. The record holder, right, is John Singleton, who was 24 years, 44 days, the days are important yeah uh when he well when he got nominated for boys in the hood which is really i mean it's so john singleton his career is in many ways defined by race which i think we've talked about plenty on this show but it is really fascinating that he gets the best director nomination at 24 and then his career really did not kind of crest in the way that a lot of people would have expected you know look at ben zeitlin who had this huge oscar breakthrough he hasn't made his follow-up film yet not that he's doing what he wants he's doing fine but yeah it does it's not always this Orson Welles indication of a coronation where you just go on to massive success. No, it's not. And I think Singleton, you know, suffered from 
the sort of mentality of well we already have spike lee so you know like <laughs> oh. you know it was that it's that i mean i don't agree with that thinking but i think that you're right kenneth Branagh was only 29 when he was nominated for henry v i mean yeah these people really started i don't know what the hell we're doing it's, it's cr- <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, actually getting up and leaving to do something more worthwhile with my yeah. life yeah. right now. Well, yeah. so, all right. So the other award ceremony that happened over the weekend was the American Society of Cinematographers, where La La Land did not win. So there is, mm. you know, one tiny oh. uh, chink in the armor where Lion took home the award. Yeah. And Lion is beautifully filmed. I think we keep talking about this movie as being like, why aren't more people talking about Lion? There seems to be an institutional love of that movie. Like, yeah. um, I was talking with Kyle Buchanan, who writes for Vulture and covers award stuff. Uh, when we were at Sundance and he was saying that he has been talking to Academy members in LA throughout the past couple months and that they kind of unanimously talk about three films, Moonlight, La La Land and Lion. Mm. And like everyone he's talked to has said Lion. People love that movie. And so that would seem to be evidence. And it got a ton of nominations. So, um, Although at this point, is it likely to win anything? I don't think so. That's really no. crazy. Yeah. But I feel like, especially now with the expanded, you know, 10 Best Picture nominees in the past few years, there have been movies like that, like Bridge of Spies, you know, a movie that quietly made a good deal of money, but didn't get much fanfare. It wasn't like a big fan hit, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then just got all these nominations. I feel like every year there's a, there's a movie like that. And this year it's Lion, which I'm happy. I mean, it's a good movie. Yeah. Or also uh, Hidden Figures, which is if you were to give me anything that could run up and beat La La Land, I would probably give it to Hidden Figures. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. But I'm not sure the Hidden Figures is going to win anything either. Interesting. If we're talking about Chazelle and director, what is it about the directing accomplishment do you think that's pushing him over the top is it the music is it the locations is it the choreography the whole thing it's, the crazy vision of it all yeah it's a big movie i'm joining i'll let you talk about this i've been talking a lot well no i was just i was gonna agree with you just the ambition of the vision i think well, i don't want to beat the same drum every week but i really do think when it comes to craft Barry Jenkins' work on Moonlight is much, much better. But I think La La Land is getting anointed for, oh, this guy took this big risk and did an original musical. Forgetting that we do occasionally get original musicals. and I don't know. They're acting like... You know, we haven't had an original musical in Hollywood in forever, and, and mean, that's not quite true. It's been a while. What, what's what are you thinking of? As a I'm thinking of well, musical? the reason I'm not naming it is because I forgot the name now, so that doesn't bode well for it. <laughs> but the one that the the Anna Kendrick, you know, oh, last five years. Yeah, last five years. That's not an original musical though. That was a Broadway show. Oh, you're right. You're right. But, but there's a romance and cigarettes to John Turturro film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, or My Beloved Sing Street, or once, Mm -hmm. but those aren't really Hollywood productions. Like, I think the idea of staging something on an actual studio backlot, like Singing in the Rain, and there definitely is, like, an original. Well, and it's cool. It it is cool what he did, and it's very, very targeted to the people who vote in Oscars, which is that he took two versions of L.A. and Hollywood and put them together, Mm -hmm. the kind of nostalgic one, and literally had that type of action happening on top of today's L.A. that people actually live in. And probably a lot of the people in the industry and who live in L.A., all they want is to be in that old Hollywood, and they want someone to kind of reassure them that this L.A. is as magical and cool as the one that they moved there in search of, you know. But that's not just an illusion. Like, it's it's actually executed really beautifully in the film, I mm-hmm. think. You know, he carries that out technically yeah. and on screen. And I think that what that movie has kind of buffering it is... Uh, the, the middle stretch of that movie, many people have said, myself included, the middle stretch, it's sort of the music stops and it becomes just this kind of more familiar relationship dramedy. But the 
opening with the traffic scene and yeah. then the party and then the close with the dream ballet and the audition song. Yeah. Those are so strong yeah. that anything that's not great about the middle kind of gets forgotten. Well, I think in the middle, he spends too much time on Google Earth. <laughs> or is that sorry I'm, I'm confused about which film <laughs> right Ryan Gosling goes Lion. to find his <laughs> who's gonna say La La Lion yeah. on the uh, on the red carpet this year you would Giddly talented, la la la. Um, no, I, I will just be completely honest with myself and you guys, which is that if La La Land were more of an underdog, I would be stumping for it. But since it's just this anointed winner, I keep finding ways to sort of poke holes in it. And that's not fair, but that's sort of the nature of these kind of competitions. Well, and I thought Rebecca Keegan did a good job of getting at that in her newsletter yesterday, which is how hard it is to just sit at the top of the pile for this long. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember yeah. talking to Pete and right after the premiere at Toronto, which I didn't actually get to. And he was like, I'm telling them they should not show it to anybody for at least a month. Like they, yeah. they knew what they had and they were really trying to, you know, hold off. They have done quite a good job. And so we'll see if it. Yeah. If it no, I, I remember over, after yeah. it premiered at Telluride in Toronto and I, you know, was coming back from maternity leave and was dying to see this movie. And it was like the holy grail. Like you could not get into a screening yes. of this movie because they yeah. were, even though so many people had seen it, they really were trying to like play it carefully and which is fascinating because Lionsgate is not a studio that is you know you've seen in the Oscar race in this way before they really they had some good strategists on their side you know one could go back to an episode from I think this spring I am friends with a former Lionsgate publicist who told me I don't know, in March or something, that the movie was a masterpiece. And I said, well, I don't know, maybe that's just publicist spin. But they they did know, you know. And yeah. when yeah. I saw it at Telluride, it was the screening that they reserve for the premium pass holders and press, which is a special screening that's not listed on the schedule. And I feel like that was a shrewd thing. Mm-hmm. They, you know, like they created a re- huge sense of anticipation for it. it was the first movie most of us saw at Telluride. You know, they really have handled it very well. And then... They had, you know, this sort of platformed release in theaters, and it's been a big commercial hit. You know, I think it's at 100 million now. Yeah, it's uh, so it and Hidden Figures have both passed 100 billion dollars. Yeah. They're kind of neck and neck, right around yeah. 120. And that's, I think, Katie, what, what you know, that Hidden Figures poses perhaps the biggest threat to La La Land is that those commercial hits, like a Million Dollar Baby or something, or American Sniper, they have fans in the Academy who want to yes. vote for for yeah. things that are financially viable. Yeah, people want people to watch the show, and yeah. so they want them to actually know what the movies are. And yeah. a lot of people know what La La Land is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. yeah, no, mm-hmm. we had talked about it previously about how it was looking like kind of a low box office Oscar season. And it's really a relief to see movies like Hidden Figures and La La Land and Arrival we had talked about before. And Hacksaw Ridge slowly did, yeah. did business. Hacksaw yeah. Ridge, I think, is yeah. close to $100 million, somewhere around there. But I think it helps explain Emma's kind of cautious speech at the SAGs. I think that's, you know... They've really managed this. It's been a very controlled rollout. Mm -hmm. And whereas something like Moonlight, even though Mahershala Ali, we assume, is going to win, they're still in underdog mode trying to really put points on the board. And La La Land's just trying to not make a mistake. Don't get pushed out of field goal (laughs) range if I may bring up recent trauma. What do you guys in all your infinite Oscar campaign knowledge, what do you think Ryan Gosling could have done to better his chances because we still don't feel like he is Did a personality transplant <laughs> okay <laughs> but he's up against casey affleck i mean it's not like he's up against like the most charming man in the world i mean i think the biggest thing standing in ryan gosling's way is that he's an immigrant <laughs> that is so true by the way <laughs> that canadian bias I, I, I don't i don't mean to say ryan gosling has a bad personality he's just not like casey he's he just not no a campaigner to, he's not a schmoozer yeah. he has no desire to do the song and dance for his he song also and dance does movie. not have an Emma Stone moment in that movie. No. 
you know, like she right. has this huge yeah. thing at towards the end of the film, and he, you know, he has like his kind of more more recessive, the city of stars, kind of wandering on the pier. But Emma Stone so clearly blows it out. And when's the last time that a best actor and actress won, like, as good as it gets? Like, it's been a long yeah. time. He underplays, and I think that yeah. that's the role. And whereas Casey underplays to unbelievably devastating accumulated emotional effect, Ryan's underplaying basically to, like, make Emma shine even mm-hmm. brighter. So yeah. he did his job. Yeah, but Gosling is not... He's not Casey Affleck when he chooses to be. Like when you see him present an award at award show, he's hilarious and so good. Or if he wants to play along with an interview bit like that Hey Girl meme sort of interview, famous interview, like he's so great in game. And I don't want to spoil my own work, but I'm working on a piece sort of about – hosting Saturday Night Live and whether or not that can help your chances to win an Oscar. And like Gosling is a great Saturday Night Live host, actually. And Emma hosted and Casey hosted. And I kind of think that if Ryan had hosted and done a really good job of it this fall or even this month or last, it would have helped him a little bit. Not not that it would have been the deciding, but you're right. If he had decided to play the game, which he decided not to do, then I, I, I don't know, though. He's I, been everywhere. Like, I don't he, want, I want to give him played. credit. He's gone through the thing. Yeah. But yeah. So, by the way, the other thing that we should bring up is our old friend James Murphy mm-hmm. and the Pitt Hanks continuum. Yep. As he put it, cool guys don't win Oscars. Yeah. It's this just, was his theory for why Leonardo DiCaprio hadn't won uh, the year that he didn't win for Wolf of Wall Street and yeah. continued. And for Leo to win, he had to like swim in a frozen stream and sleep inside of a dead animal's body and have cry with icicles coming out of his nostrils. You know, this type of cool role, just guys don't win for this usually. Yeah. But he also played the game harder that year than, like, you know, he did impressions on Ellen, you know, like he went on Graham Norton's show. He did a lot of, like, the glad handing. And I, no, I mean, like, Ryan is going to the events, but in terms of, like, I don't know, adorable mainstream moments. Maybe I'm overprising those. Maybe those don't matter as much as I think they do. But like, I remember Eddie Redmayne dancing on the Graham Norton like, show. No one has the worked year harder than Eddie Redmayne. Well, Eddie, in yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was really a, a textbook. Well, he saw he saw a weak spot in Keaton, and he exploited it and became the most likable guy on the yeah. on the circuit that Which year. Which is, I mean, yeah. uh, we keep talking about how Casey Affleck feels like he's kind of ready to be knocked off his perch, and I think now we've decided that Denzel Washington probably stands the best chance. But yeah. Ryan Gosling could have been exploiting that all along. Well, and I, I don't know if Gosling and Clooney are pals at all, but Clooney they worked... They made Ides of March together. Right. And Clooney worked really hard for the Descendants and was pissed when he didn't get it. He didn't get it, right? I'm not making an ass <laughs> like, of myself. He did not get it. <laughs> he got beaten by Jean Dujardin. Um, uh, yeah, so so he was really upset and, and I think basically, from what I understand, swore he was never going to do this again. And I think for a guy like Gosling, it's just, and for a guy like Leo, you really got to feel, to kind of put yourself out there and risk embarrassment and all that stuff, you really got to feel like you've got a real chance. And this kind of smooth, cool role is not necessarily your best chance. There might be yeah. another thing when Gosling goes full Eastern Promises where he's like, all right, I'm going for it. Well, that's what's interesting about his track record. He got nominated for Half Nelson when he was really young. And it was so good. Yeah. And Still some of his best work. Yeah. And that was kind of like so a big good. breakthrough performance for him. And then uh, Blue Valentine, famously, Michelle Williams got nominated and he didn't even though it was a very classic two-hander they were both very much in this movie and this is kind of the second time that he has been opposite a woman who he's really her performance has outshone him in some way even though he got the nomination this time well I mean I'm just looking on IMDb to see what Gosling has coming up he has Blade Runner he has a new Terrence Malick movie Um, but 
in pre-production, so who knows if it's actually going to get made, is Damien Chazelle directing a biopic about Neil Armstrong, in which Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. So there you go. There's your Oscar. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> because, because in a sort of gendered way, Gosling is not the focus of La La Land. He's not the emotional right. kind of fulcrum yeah, exactly. of it. And men do not win acting awards for movies where a woman is bigger than them in the movie. I mean, it happens, but like it's rare, it, you know, like yeah. for a best actor, it needs to be eating a bison liver or whatever. You know? didn't get nominated for Titanic. Yeah. Whereas all the time, women are not only nominated, but awarded oh. for support in the male performance. Oh, right? for sure. Fly yeah. to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, I hope he good, sings. Good Gosling impression. Uh, apparently the news is that they're not performing at the Oscars, which is insane. Why do you even nominate those songs if you're not going to have Emma and Ryan sing on stage? I am going to be doing it, which no. is going to be really great. I'm really glad you're oh, doing some vocal yeah. yeah. Are you going to do like the full Adina Menzel where you have like millions of Swarovski crystals? Do you mean the like, uh, ceramic? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Richard's yeah. going to jump off the roof of the Kodak <laughs> yeah, Theater. Yeah. And I am going to make a political <laughs> statement. <laughs> the scoop is that uh, Emma and Ryan won't be performing, but uh, our owner, Becca Keegan, talked to Justin Timberlake and Limola Miranda on Monday and found out that they will both be performing. So there will be some cute, charming things happening at the Oscars, just not from so Emma Stone and Ryan will Gosling. Will it be John Legend? I don't know. Who else is going to sing Emma Stone's audition song? I mean, I guess uh, Dina Mazzell, maybe? Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess like if you're nominated, Ariana Grande. Like, maybe there's an <laughs> argument like you're nominated. You don't want to have to focus on a performance, but yeah, I'm I'm really surprised. Or you don't want to like potentially embarrass yourself am, if you don't I guess so. do like because there, you know, so much has been made about the fact that their voices aren't the strongest in the whole world. So live singing in the theater versus quiet singing for the camera. I mean, episode did Broadway. Amy Adams did Happy Working Song yeah. uh, at the Oscars. You yeah, know? she did. And, and you know, she's she's. She does musical theater. I think you know, Millie Vanilli should sing. <laughs> sorry. Oh, really. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. For our younger listeners, uh, <laughs> as a band before you were born. Oh. Yeah. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Well, we've had a really pleasant 20 minutes talking about movies, but 
I did feel like kind of a thematic topic for this week because it seems to happen everywhere is that uh, everything seems to be about Trump, even when it's not about Trump. Yeah. And uh, this is a thought I had watching the Super Bowl, which if you watch the Super Bowl and Twitter at the same time, which I don't recommend, everyone was kind of turning it into a proxy war of the 2016 election. And mm-hmm. then it turned out exactly like the 2016 election, which is that the big bad guy who everyone thought was going to be defeated uh, won in the end. Yeah. I'm uh, actually sweating and nauseous even <laughs> now that no, you're talking about it. No, it gives you PTSD it. to yeah, think horrible. about it this way. It was way. absolutely horrible. Yeah. And then all I can wait, Richard, you're from Boston. The fact that you... Uh, I, I, I have rooted for the Patriots in the past as much as I root for any sports team. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this year I was like, uh, if Atlanta doesn't win, then the Republic is doomed. <laughs> they didn't win. Well, I think yeah. the the nice thing for this year's Oscars is that there's not really an obvious Trump parallel in the movies itself. It's not like I was saying that yesterday to a friend that like if Michael Bay was in the Oscar race for the first time this year, like that would be the Trump parallel. But I feel like La La Land being the front runner and being the escapist movie, people are like really straining to find connections here. And I kind of just want all of us to like maybe shake our heads and agree that it's just not about Trump. This it's not about Trump, like, except if Mel Gibson wins Best Director. Oh, Jesus Which Christ. could happen. It could. Yeah, Honestly. we didn't talk about that with our whole Damien Chazelle thing, but yeah. I mean, what's, what's your argument for that? Well, I just think that movie is really liked by older people, and I know that they've done some work to change the demographics of the Academy, but it, it's only been a year, so they, the overhaul isn't that complete. I mean, Mel still got the Best Director nomination. He got the nomination, you know, over some other people, so I don't think it's going to happen, but, like, it could. And if that happens, then we've got a repeat of. Although, you know. I mean, even though even though Mel Gibson is associated with anti-Semitism mm-hmm. uh, and being a crazy old drunk white guy, which is very <laughs> on brand for the Trump administration, <laughs> I do think that the film's message is not necessarily mm. Trumpian because right. it's actually yeah. about a pacifist. You're right. Yeah, help saving Americans' lives, and it's all very much about like Americans acting like Americans instead of acting like Nazis and winning World <laughs> War II. Literally the opposite of Nazis. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so there's that. I doubt anyone would actually keep that in mind, but I did want to point that out. Also, the other thing is that the people, the, the liberal circular firing squad around being angry at La La Land because it's about a white jazz musician, I get how that's a little bit, but like, can we not do this? Any, can we stop doing a liberal f- circular firing squad? And just like, this is a movie, it's like a freaking musical about starving actors. Yeah, there's a there's a piece on the LA Times by uh, Glenn Lovell, an op-ed, that I saw sort of fired around angrily on Twitter the last two days. The headline is, Will the Political Climate Deprive La La Land of the Best Picture Oscar? Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. And it's sort of about, you know, the conservative fear that identity politics will get hidden figures or fences or moonlight. The award is a message to Trump um, that stories about white people will not stand. And I like I I just think we all agree that that's not going to happen. That's probably that's crazy. But it's also just a trash opinion. I mean, if hidden figures like too. jumped up in one Lala, like one best picture, like I'd be perfectly happy with that. Yeah. I guess that doesn't seem likely, but would but you think- though? Can, can we just actually sorry? And I, I don't I think that sounds like a very trash article. Hidden figures. I is, mean, but Moonlight. A, if, oh, Moonlight. Moonlight one. That'd be incredible. That'd yeah. be like the best best picture winner. I know, but like Ted ages. Melfi. Yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah. that is Saint a, Vincent does not go away quickly. Perfectly amusing, very inspiring sure. movie with some great performances, but like it's not really a, a best picture. Uh, sure, I think that the surprise that it winning at the SAGs and stuff like that I'm more reacting to is that like we've been kind of exhaustively talking about this for months now. I would just be. It would be fun to see something. Like unexpected happen. Sure. Oh, well, I say fun. It wouldn't be fun to see Mel Gibson win. You know, like, like, like there are certain <laughs> unexpected things that would be bad. I, I don't know. I think that, 
I don't think that La La Land's win, which feels inevitable at this point, will be met with much like, well, this is a sign of blank. I think it's just a movie no. that people really like, kind yeah. of universally like. It, it's interesting, though, if it doesn't win, then, then everyone will be, will be really well, deeply yeah. analyzing. Oh, the takes, and, the and takes will be unbelievable. If you look at this crazy year in sports where the World Series w- went to seven games, you know, the NBA went to seven games. I'm going to take your word for every, that. <laughs> somebody tweeted it, but every single sports thing has gone down to the wire and yeah. had some crazy reversal. Mm-hmm. So if that really is in the air, which I don't believe in these things, but if that is in the air, then it suggests maybe La La Land isn't going to win, even though it's 91% likely to win just like Hillary. And, oh, my God. Uh, the, you know, See, now the, you're giving the me the Falcons. PTSD again. Yeah. Like, I can't. So, I if can't it's, so will this. it be hidden figures or Hacksaw Ridge? And, and, and uh, or something else. Uh, well, there's going to be, there's gonna be, be really a robust write-in campaign for Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Deepwater yeah. Horizon that's, that's comes the, in. That's yeah. Real... Yeah. I think I'm already exhausted in advance about the hot takes on both sides. I, I think I, you're wrong. I think if La La Land wins, there will be a bunch of think pieces about what this means about Trump's America. And I think if it loses, there would be even and more. Joanna, like we're this. counting on it's, you to write at least three of them, <laughs> yeah, by I, the way. I, oh, I had you sign up on the Excel doc, Joanna. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I think the thing pieces come with everything. I mean, if you remember last year, we had like the Revenant versus Spotlight, and that felt like a proxy war for like big movies versus small movies or like white men versus journalism. Like there was all kinds of things that we put on it. And I think even now looking less than a year later, it's like, oh, it was just two movies. That's that's what it was. I mean, some years there is a lot of symbolism. Like I think Brokeback Mountain losing Best Picture really was symbolic of something, you know, diseased within the Academy and homophobia that has hopefully since changed. But some years it's just about the Crash solved racism, Katie. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> and here we are today, the best yeah. picture winner, Hidden yeah. Figures, yeah. to prove that it solved racism. <laughs> and the artist, we all agree, is an enduring classic for our time. Oh, man. What did the artist beat? I don't even remember. The Descendants, I guess. That's the. That I've never like. seen The yep. Artist. Really? Nope, never seen it. This is off topic, but I talk, you know, the last Best Picture winner that you haven't seen. Mine is The English Patient. Oh, it's so I good. just watched it for it the first so time yeah? two weeks ago Did you with like my it? fiance who has watched it about 400 times. It's wonderful. Yes. It's beautiful. It's so it's good. It's really, really good. Well, what's yeah. the last Best Picture nominee you haven't seen, Mike and Joanna? Or winner. winner? Yeah, sorry, winner. Yeah, nominees, that's a whole other... I think uh, mine is definitely The Artist. Uh, yeah, that was like four years ago. How did you avoid The Artist? <laughs> Assiduously. I mean, it took work <laughs> to not see that movie. You know what mine is? The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I just couldn't. Oh, really? Midway through the second <laughs> yeah. one, I was like, I can't yeah. watch these. Anymore. You didn't I miss much. Mine is Unforgiven, and I tried, oh, yeah. like... Two years ago, and I couldn't do it. It's on so, Netflix, I believe. If you want to try again, I I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I also have never seen Forrest Gump. Really? What? Mm-hmm. Oh, because you were like in college and too cool for yes, it. Exactly. Oh, this is too, too cool phase. Yeah, oh, wow. two cool phases. Yeah, isn't that how you hadn't seen Titanic either? No, I saw Titanic in the theater, oh, there, but there's a lot of stuff that I that I missed in those days. Oh, A Beautiful Mind. Didn't see that. Never, oh, never seen that. Well, I that's like good. Drove... Based on a Vanity Fair um, is that right? article, <laughs> right. like as is Lion. Well, based on a uh, Vanity Fair excerpt. Yeah, that's true. But actually, little known fact, our boss, Graydon Carter, did uh, tip off Hollywood to A Beautiful Mind before publication. Huh. Because he knew it would make such a good film and it ended up winning Best Picture. Well, I think I owe it to my employer then to see, to this see A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. God's sake. Before Unforgiven, the next Best Picture I haven't seen is 1972's French Connection. So apparently... Wow, you've seen a lot of those 80s movies that are like, I had to watch Gandhi in college and I regret every minute I spent watching it. <laughs> yeah, we watched it in high school for some reason. I don't know why. But anyway, apparently I've got a Gene Hackman block, so I will try to do Unforgiven and the French Connection. French someday. Connection is great, but it's surprisingly slow now. 
when you see it. But I've never seen it either. Wonderful for that reason. There's some cool stuff. There's an insane car chase that lasts for just like 20 minutes. Yeah, and it's really just two loud cars just going up like the Henry Hudson. You know, you're just like, okay. sounds great. But sounds kind of it's fun, but it is, yeah, it's it's kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. soothing. <laughs> Well, let's wrap up this week's episode, not doing Go Big or Go Home, because we've talked about a lot of categories. But yesterday was the nominees luncheon, where all of the year's nominees get together and have kind of an awkward lunch. And then they take a big family photo, which is... It's the best. It's my favorite part of the entire year. So Julie Miller kind of did an elaborate piece about it yesterday at VanityFair.com to talk about everyone you can see in it. And we just kind of wanted to overanalyze who is there together. Julie picked out some really great ones, including the uh, power row of Matt Damon, Natalie. Portman and Emma Stone all sitting together. Joanna, what what were your favorite parts? Um, I want to look up the guy's name because it's oh, is this Kevin O'Connell? Yeah, there you go. Who's what a sound engineer? Re-recording mixer. Yeah, re-recording mixer for Hacksaw Ridge. He's standing to the left of the Oscar statue and doing one of these like this guy thumb moves at the Oscar statue which I've never seen in the luncheon photo. So yeah, he's immediately a favorite. He's also a 21-time yeah. nominee who has never won. So he is sick to death of doing this photo. He's got Susan Lucci beat by all <laughs> yeah. yeah, all of his fucks are gone, and he's like, I'll do whatever I want in this photo. It's fine. So that was my favorite part. Just to the left of him is Pharrell in a uh, NASA sweatshirt and ripped jeans. Because Pharrell yeah. is a rock star and has not, doesn't have to do anything. I've been overanalyzing this NASA trend. Like a lot of people pointed out that, you know, since he's there for hidden figures, that's yeah. probably why he's wearing a NASA sweatshirt. But Chris Evans was wearing a NASA hat at the Super Bowl, probably because they're in Houston and they like went and I don't know. Hang on. I can go really deep on this. Octavia Spencer was kind of smack talking Chris Evans on Twitter during the Super Bowl because he's from New England and uh, they were co-stars in Snowpiercer and uh, she's in hidden figures. Oh, okay. Maybe he's stumping for hidden figures. I, I support it. NASA's having a moment. Good. Yay, science. Just in time for us to defund it, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like the people who got to sit down in the front row, really, um, that's not fair. Because I'm sure that this photo took a while to sort of assemble, and they got to sit the whole time, and other people are standing on risers, uncomfortable. Julie or Rebecca wrote that, I think they load it from the back to the front. Oh, that makes sense, because like, they're not going to make Natalie Portman sit there forever. Yeah, they call their name and then they go up, and so that's where they were. That's where they were like Ryan Gosling looks so grumpy because he's in the back crossing his arms, and they're like he had been clapping for like an hour as each person came up. <laughs> if he didn't already hate award season, <laughs> right? Yeah. Do you guys know anything about why Justin Timberlake winds up? In, well, not just that's a bad example because he's so famous, but like why are Ryan Gosling's in the back row? No, and I asked. So Rebecca Keegan had been there, and she's been to this luncheon many times, and you know knows basically everything about the academy. And I asked her, "What is the logic behind it?" She's like, "I know they have a process, but I don't know what it is." And I kind of feel like it's just to maximize delight for us to hunt for all the famous faces in there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for like you know the re-recording mixer who hasn't been nominated twenty-one times to be standing next to Steven Spielberg. Like that's got to be fun. Can you imagine yeah. that? Like this is like a seating chart from hell. This is like a wedding times a thousand. Of, yeah, like, so that's to- why you make it random, so no one can be like, "Why don't you like me? I'm Ryan Gosling. Why am I in the back row?" It's like it's random man he's like, well, i mean the front row i don't think is random right there's a lot of a lot of big names very, in that front row. very important nominees in the front row yeah i'm looking at a tiny version of, who is the woman in the left right in the front in the red dress is that a famous person or is she just really well dressed and not famous she looks beautiful i don't know who she is man 
Well, <laughs> we'll find out at the something something <laughs> annual Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> well, our separate spinoff podcast that will just go through person by person in this photo and uh, yeah, assign their feelings to each a other. Very bizarre, intense spinoff. Yeah. This uh, article is on VF.com. We'll link to yep. it in the show notes for this episode. Uh, please go look at it. I think it's probably my favorite thing in award season. It's great. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this, uh, I think, rambling but enjoyable catch up on. We've all lost our minds. I mean, we're being <laughs> gaslit by the president of the United States. Like, just bear with us. It's not about. Trump, Richard. What sorry, did we talk sorry. about? We lost Mike, but uh, you can find Mike on Twitter, as you well know. And the rest of us, we're all at Little Gold Men. We really love hearing from you all on Twitter. Please keep talking to us. It's really enjoyable. It's a little column in my tweet deck that I enjoy a lot. So yeah, find us on Twitter. Recommend the show to other people. And then uh, tweet us on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Richard. Rylos. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz, um, who should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. Yeah, we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.